You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Cards and Cubes, and this is a podcast about tabletop games. This is episode 50. Uh, I'm Christo. I'm Trevor. And today is not the 4th of July, but uh, this podcast will be published on the 4th of July. We actually don't play too many war games, and we were actually thinking about um, how we're not really going to talk about anything having to do with the 4th of July, unfortunately. But yeah, I feel like um, yeah, the games we play just kind of don't lend themselves um, to that kind of stuff. But happy holidays <laughs> to happy, everyone and, and happy gaming war gamers <laughs> and happy gaming war gamers who actually have games with themes which fit a lot better uh speaking of which actually i think that's kind of an unexplored uh area is what i was talking to uh trevor bot is there's like literally not that many games to begin with it's not that that we haven't like played them but um not many games with that kind of theme, like in board game format. There's a lot of games with uh, in like a, uh, from the war gaming side of things, but not too many war games. I think having to do with uh, Revolutionary War or anything like that. So kind of interesting. A lot of the games are about German cities and stuff in Europe or like wars that happened in the like in ancient Greece or something. Uh, not too popular yeah, theme. Or apparently. like civilization building or you know economics or basically just not super focused around like the american revolutionary war yeah there's a game actually called colonists uh which i've been kind of cautiously interested in but the only thing that's kind of uh stopping me is i've heard it's really long um like hours I've and hours s- that game's like on perpetual discount it seems <laughs> really i don't know i haven't i hadn't noticed if it's the one i'm thinking of yeah colonists this one i think is maybe on miniature market or game nerds it's it's i feel like i always yeah i feel like i always see it in the deal or clearance section huh interesting but yeah up to 360 minutes that's quite a that's quite the game 360 minutes is six hours i think like you can uh there's like three like ages or something in the game and you can skip one and one of the ages uh and just like start from the second age which like reduces the play time to only four hours um anyway that's it's kind of an involved game so but it looks very interesting anyway with kind of the theme not exactly but kind of close to the theme of kind of um, looks like a big game of suburbia almost <laughs> Um, yeah, from what I've heard, actually, it's kind of like engine building as well. So I don't know about like a four, a six hour engine building game, um, or just kind of like a production and consumption e- economic game or something. Uh, but anyway, speaking of constant deals, um, I had a little uh, intro thing. Uh, Grail Games announced something that was kind of surprising and shocking to me at least which is i think they said something like our games are not selling well enough and we're just going to stop making them 
And uh, I think a lot of games were involved, a lot from Reiner Knizia, a lot of like reprints. Uh, I think Yellow and Yangtze, uh, what is it? Medici uh, Ste- the Dice Game. Yeah, Medici the Dice Game, Stevenson's Rocket. Basically, like uh, uh, even Whale Riders, which hasn't even like come out at retail yet. So, kind of interesting, actually, kind of made me think about um, yeah, I usually wait to buy games on clearance or on deals or something. And uh, apparently, the whole Some. Grail Games line is going to be on discount. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, not the whole line is going to be on discount, but like they just like literally like shut like the Yellow and Yangtze, for example, came on came out only a couple of years ago, so just like really unexpected for a game to have that short of a shelf time. Like it just kind of disappears. But yeah, everything kind of got sold out, and uh, people are trying to sell it for really high prices on ebay but yeah apparently uh we're just talking about supporting publishers and stuff and yeah apparently uh if everyone does the the same thing that i like to do which is wait for games to kind of become less less of a hotness and start moving towards like the sales and clearance shelves uh some publishers don't quite make it nope (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's that kind of mentality. If we all had that mentality, I think a lot of these publishers would just kind of die. Yeah. but It's uh, funny, though, because uh, I'm looking at their website, and as early as April of this year, they were like, we are, we're proud to announce that we're going to continue to uh, – we've acquired the rights to publish all the Manhattan, Manhattan Project games. And then a couple yep. months later, they're like, just kidding. Yeah, yeah. I don't know details or anything, but basically, yeah, they're shutting down all the production of their games. Really surprisingly, actually. Uh, also, I don't know if other people in the industry were uh, in on it because I think they had like Geek Bits arrive at uh, the board game geek store and no one's really gonna buy these geek bits now because the game is not available. So they're I wonder gonna if be they'll these, just um, like, clear sell geek bits, I guess. Oh yeah, even the bits. I wonder though. I I have to think that if any of their games are successful, other publishing companies might want to just buy the rights to those games. Yeah, I think actually that's kind of true. Is like the games I think are not going to like super completely disappear unless no one just kind of expresses interest. Uh, it's not like they have exclusive rights. I think, or they probably would sell them or whatever. I think, for example, like uh, Yellow and Yangtze might be published by some someone else later, but probably I'm guessing with different art and everything, and it's going to be years. So just kind of really weird, like thing that happened over the last uh, couple of weeks. Actually, I think this one I found out. So with Whale Riders, has that even delivered yet? That's what I'm saying. Is it got canceled before? Like it got. It did before it's even delivered or hit retail. I oh, think I actually what's going to happen that. is uh, their production run, like whatever they're making now, is probably going to hit retail, but like there's nothing after that. I think it's going to be like one shipment. So I guess if you want well writers, you probably better like get it now or never. Did you end up backing that? Uh, actually, I technically backed it, I think, for like a dollar or something, and I'm not sure if it's still possible to get the Kickstarter version. I need to check on that. Um, <laughs> there's there's actually, unfortunately, quite a few Kickstarters that are in that state as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, the uh, story every, of my life. Every one of these dying publishers can trace their failure back to you only giving <laughs> yeah, $1 in, in the in Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least like if I don't finish my pledge or anything, they got a dollar for free, so... There's, there's that. So. Yeah, that, that's the kind of money that'll save the company. Yep. 
Well, so anyway, uh, that's the little snippet of information is Grail Games is going to start living up to their name. Get it? Grail Games? Uh-huh. It's going to be like very impossible to get them. Um, if you have any in local stores that are sitting on the shelves and the store owners don't realize go what's happening, go get them, I guess. So, yep, that's about it. Yeah, well, we've just induced hysteria. <laughs> Over Grail Games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. You want to talk about some games played? Yep. Let's talk about some games played. All right. I'll uh, kick this off here. This is a game you and I both played recently called Nippon. This is uh, designed by Nuno Bizarro Sentiero and Paulo Soledad. And this is published by What's Your Game? Question mark. Um, basically, this is uh, how to describe it. It's an area majority game where players are controlling um, local factions or the local people, I guess, in, in Japan uh, to try to develop their economic power engines and drive out the foreign English people or, or whoever, American. It's the United States, I think, yeah. Yeah. They're yeah, the like American selling States. goods in the Japanese market, and you're trying to produce goods to displace the Americans from the market and start selling your goods because uh, domestic Japanese goods are better or something. Yep. Yep, they're way better. So the, the, the process of playing the game basically goes through uh, there's, I forget how many actions available, but on the top of the board, there are a certain number of actions available, and at the start of the game, each of those areas at the top of the board have three workers placed in them, and eat, and there's different colors of workers. Um, and basically, the way you take actions is you take one of those three workers from the gr- the area where the action you want to take is, and then you put that worker on your board. Um, the color of workers only matters in that uh, when you go to basically clear your player board, you have to pay a certain amount of money per different color you have. So you're trying to match it up and get uh, the same color or maybe two different colors, but certainly not three or four because that becomes really expensive. Um, and basically what you're doing in this game is you're uh, effectively trying to build different industry buildings so that you can put goods onto those buildings and then use those buildings to sell goods basically or I, I, I don't know thematically what's happening, but the those yeah, I buildings think you're are goods, yeah. You're yeah. producing and selling goods in the in the cities, in the provinces yeah. wherever you wherever you are. Yeah, so then by selling those goods into those provinces, you are gaining influence, which is the area area control mechanism. Uh, And based on the quality of your goods, I think there's three different tiers of goods. And so you you try to get to the point where you've got one of the really good uh, type of buildings that sells like light bulbs and compasses or something like that. Watches, um, I think, or something. Or watches, yeah. There's so like, like more refined technology. goods. Yeah, higher technology goods or something. Yeah, and so basically I think the highest number of influence any one square can have in a region is seven. 
And so you you have a finite number of tiles with numbers on them, and so you're just using your your factories to develop goods and sell them and gain influence. And then there's these interim scoring rounds where depending on who has the most influence and uh, boats and trains and stuff in these different regions, you'll score and and do things like that. There's also some a little bit of contract fulfillment that you can do with your goods. Um, so if you're not able to do sell them and, and gain influence on the board, you can use them to fulfill contracts, which can get you a combination of points and um, other things. I think the two track there's like three tracks on your player board. One is a coal income, the other is money income, and then the other one I think is knowledge because it c- takes more knowledge to build the higher levels of industry. And so the game just plays over what is it kind of three scoring rounds is that what it was? Yep. Yeah, so the the game's over after three scoring rounds and each scoring round is triggered after um all of the workers on the board, um, including the reserves, there's probably, I think there's five or six reserves where you refill uh, worker places where they've been emptied. And then uh, after those scorings, the game's over. Uh, what did you think of Nippon Riso? Um, actually, I was amazed to see that, first of all, it is by the same designers as, as Madeira, which it kind of in a very loose way, not really feels like Madeira, but not really. Uh, the game that I was thinking that it's like a lot is Navigador, and Navigador is by Mac Gertz, a completely different designer. Uh, the reason I'm saying that it feels like Navigador is that basically it's kind of the same concept as... Uh, you're trying to, I think, in general, to do well in the game, produce things that other people are not producing to basically avoid conflict with other people and just kind of fill in gaps. Uh, however, it does have like a tech level, like Trevor saying, pr- like a increasing tech level feel because uh, eventually you want to produce like higher goods so you can do the area control aspect of the game and navigador actually it's very much the same you're producing or like acquiring or something i think you're actually producing from the um goods and delivering delivering them is that the marked game gosh i I couldn't remember wow weird that's the one one side of the board is in german and i guess macht is uh, market yeah we're we set it up accidentally on the german side of the board so the rondel was all in german so we just kind of played it on the german side because other than the rondel everything else is uh the same uh but everything else is without text i mean but like the Navigador basically feels like kind of the same game as Nippon, except Navigador you're trying to just like go to India or something or Japan actually like really far far east uh, and you're setting up like trading routes in Nippon you're playing an area control game. Uh, the hilarious thing I don't know if Trevor mentioned is the worker selection mechanism. Basically in Nippon you uh, want to do certain actions and I think in a certain order. Basically, you kind of want to do an action, uh, but you also want to collect the same color workers because you get punished for uh, selecting a worker which sits on top of the action that you want to take, and you have to take a worker 
of a color and any color that's available there if you want to do the action and uh, that's like a ridiculously lucky mechanic in this kind of yeah. game and i think it can make a big difference if you kind of get lucky and i think i definitely got more lucky than some other people playing i got and, super lucky yeah <laughs> I, I was um, like lucky the whole game almost i don't think i was like lucky the entire game but i think in the beginning especially when money really counts it's like if you just get the right colors on the board and i mean some of that is like strategy but i mean what's the strategy you look around the table and pick a color that you that's featured on the next action you want to do that no one else has on their board meaning they're not interested in taking it because you're trying to collect the same color and that mechanic is just like hilarious to me like i don't know in a game that's like as serious as this there shouldn't be a <laughs> the action selection mechanic shouldn't be like pay more money if you get unlucky you know uh anyway that was just weird the other thing that i'm not super particularly fond of is the area control game um i think it's fine for what it is but like it feels like a weird mashup of like the navigador factory production some kind of weird lucky action selection mechanic and the area control feels something like el grande or something except in el grande you play like 16 rounds of area control and the entire game is focused on that this is like three rounds of area control and the area control is like huge there's other possibilities to score points in the game but the if you don't play the area control game you're just like done uh, yeah. there's no way to win it's there's so, no way it's like half the game or more and uh also the triggering it is basically like the board gets to this weird like uh state of there's one worker on several actions and whoever takes the one worker triggers the scoring and that can also happen like right before your turn just because of people what people choose and it's all just kind of like very kind of a weird game um i don't like I don't dislike it necessarily. I think it's okay for what it is. I just kind of would rather like if you want the area control aspect of it, I'd rather play El Grande. If you want to, if you want the economic aspect of it, I'd rather play like Navigador for like just kind of a better experience. I think the mashup of them is just weird. Um, I'm also extremely surprised that the game has like still a very high score after all these years. <laughs> Nobody usually, plays it anymore. Usually, <laughs> they they usually it uh, falls down. Just out of curiosity, I wasn't gonna buy it or anything, but I just looked to see if it's available. No, it definitely isn't available. It's out of print, and um, yep. But I'm I the first time I played it, I thought I was actually gonna like like it more and more. I think like I actually liked it less the second time. Like I say, I'd rather stick to Navigador and um, whatever it's called, El Grande, personally. Um, yeah. The other game by them, Madeira, again, I can't really argue with the design. It's just very, oh, I don't know how to describe their games. They're very like thick and deliberate, and they almost feel like chessy. And in Madeira, you also have to know like these uh, cards that come out, I think, or something, or tiles that come out. But Madeira also has like an area control mechanic. Um, in that one, at least, I don't think you can kick people out. In uh, Nippon, you can actually kick people out. In Madeira, I think it's just like majorities or something. So it feels more interesting, but it recently had a Kickstarter edition actually by the exact same designers. All of their games feel kind of very similar, um, except I should say Harayal or whatever is... <laughs> with one that yeah. a light game they did recently but I, I don't know the game's fine i just like i played it and i was like well 
that happened. Um, I really like Panamax from them, actually. I think that's a pretty cool game. Oddly enough, it's kind of rated lower, <laughs> but who cares about ratings anyway? Yeah, I, I think that the game is fine. It was... Um, I had kind of two... Uh, I don't know if I call them grievances, but just like question marks playing the game uh, where I was just like, oh, that's how that works. Uh, and the first one was what you mentioned is that the, the ability to efficiently do actions is kind of random uh, based on what the colors of the meeples are that are in the particular areas when you are going to take the action. Um, so sometimes there's this uh, cat and mouse game where you're like looking around hoping somebody else will pull the last one so that it refills with the right colors and and so that can kind of throw off the rhythm of what you're trying to do which is not necessarily a bad thing it's just a little quirk of the game um but it is uh luck driven and then oh and and by the way it the way the bag pull goes the type of color you're looking for just like might not be available for the rest of the round or it might be available like at the end of the round so you just kind of give up on trying to um you know work that efficiency Uh, the other thing that i thought was a little challenging about the game is you know you you mentioned like navigador you try to do things that other people aren't doing the issue is that there's not enough things to do that you can really do it without other people doing it i think because um the way the area control works is each of the regions has i think two square tiles and on each of those square tiles there's the uh, four industries basically and you can only influence uh, add influence in the in a region where your the factory you've built where it has a it has an icon present in that region so you might have developed light bulbs which are really good but they might just not be present in a region so you're not really all that influential necessarily and then you know there's only two options for each of the tiers there's basically six industries you can build and if you're playing with four people you're going to overlap so yeah yeah i, I think even I if you're playing it's... with two people you're gonna overlap the idea yeah. is like you avoid overlapping i think in general as much as possible and then eventually it gets built up to where you have to like obviously overlap with people because there's a towel everywhere for example you have to put yeah. a towel somewhere and i don't necessarily think that that's a like a knock against the game it's just if you're it, it, you just have to play with acknowledging the fact that you're going to be bumping heads and eventually you're going to get to the point where you cannot replace somebody because the low tiers, uh, you can only place a value of up to three. So if there's a level three in one of those things, you're, you're just not going to be able to bump them. And I think the next one goes up to five or six. And so basically the, the area can be maxed out such that it's untouchable at, at some point in the game. So that was, that was just kind of a little weird, but I guess it gives you a little bit more stability. I don't know. I I don't know that if I, that I have a complaint with it, it's just, that's, it was just kind of how it worked. And I don't know if I liked it or disliked it. It's just kind of how it was, but it's just kind of weird. I think. Yeah, the other thing about the people that I was going to say is I think the theory is that if the color is not available and you have to pick a color that will make you pay five extra dollars or whatever it is per color, 
you might want to choose another action, but realistically what happens is I think most of the time you choose to do, to do the action you wanted to and you just pay the extra cost anyway, yeah. which is uh, just really kind of sad <laughs> <laughs> because like the theory is that, I don't know, maybe in like a super professional game of people that know like what they're doing, maybe that's when you reset or something early so you can get uh, clear your board and start a, a new color. But I don't know, in my opinion that, this the the idea is cool it just kind of doesn't really work <laughs> fully in that kind of game yeah and i don't know maybe people the play color the game picking a lot system more is what i mean the color picking yeah. action selection system yeah maybe people who played the game a lot more could speak to this but um given how scoring went in the game i don't know that pulling early is like necessarily the winner strategy yeah. you know um i do like that you can pull wipe your board early and it has no effect in terms of like rushing the game i i think that that's neat um but ultimately i don't know that you get any benefit because when you clear your workers you you get to basically get a tile that adds to your end game multiplying score but the more workers you have on your board when you clear the better your multiplier so yeah I think that the incentive is actually to try to maximize and be as efficient with the colors as you can. Yeah. But there's like it's it's almost like it's a consolation prize. If you have to wipe early, you're getting something, but it's really not as good. Yeah, I think it makes sense to begin the game a couple of times for like money or something because you want money uh, wiped a couple of times. But I think as the game goes on, you probably want to wipe less and less early, which is also represented by the tiles disappearing from the earlier spaces. So you just want to take longer, longer and longer turns, which unfortunately I think increases the luck of the workers might not be available but i like i say uh apparently lots of people like this game for some reason and i think matt likes this game obviously that's why he brought it but uh it's a fine game like mechanically nothing wrong absolutely nothing wrong with it mechanically just kind of not my type of mixture of weird mixture of uh mechanics yeah i think it's i think it's fine it's just kind of got some some weird quirks to it so that's Nippon. Uh, the next game we also played together, uh, this is Unlock Mythic Adventures. Uh, we're going to give all the spoilers here. <laughs> um, so we actually played the first two. The theme of the first one, uh, I guess the easiest one in this set of three, is <laughs> actually kind of weird. Uh, from the box art cover, it looks like it's going to be some weird, like, novella romance set in ancient greece type thing uh and honestly i don't remember too much about the theme or the story uh other than it was just kind of weird but um one thing i just wanted to mention about easier unlocks is that it seems like sometimes the puzzles require you to make unintuitive leaps uh, to solve puzzles or just do kind of dumb things. Uh, is that your experience in general? <laughs> With unlocks? Yeah. Uh, what I was going to say is um, basically I don't think we should like spoil whatever is in there. But yeah, the weird theme aside, like like you say, it's some kind of – it looked like, I don't know, they're going for uh, some kind of a weird sexy Greek theme 
theme or something or whatever turns out it's slavery <laughs> just very like strange the uh, unlock games have different designers though so like every unlock game feels very kind of unique um and that one looked weird to me and it definitely was weird uh the second one that we played the no side one actually i really like those designers i think they really capture even like the music that they had going on they could really capture kind of the lucas arts 90s feel of uh yeah kind of puzzles and just kind of quest games or whatever from the 90s uh but anyway yeah as far as the unintuitive puzzles i think like they think that you're not gonna be impressed by the usual stuff anymore and i have noticed kind of a trend of unlocks getting just like weirder and weirder and unfortunately i think it's not just the unlocks we played an exit uh this uh sunday called cemetery of the night and that one also had some puzzles that we just couldn't figure out and when we read the solutions we we're like are you kidding me like i don't know if things were like lost in translation from german or they're just like getting a little crazy with the puzzles but i think like if you're getting into these games now i was just thinking to myself like I don't know if you'd really enjoy this if you don't know what you're doing. I think they're like almost like it's become a meta of they expect you to have done the previous ones so that you know what kind of weirdness you can expect so they can kind of take that weirdness to the next level. That's almost kind of what it feels like the more the more we well, progress I think that's through. That's pretty true. <laughs> yeah. Cuz we played one with a zombie whatever that zombie thing was. Yeah, yeah, a zombie um, movie or something. Yep. And some something that we did in that one informed what we ultimately did in in one of these. And so it it, it you're I think you're right. They're kind of like assuming that the people that that are playing unlocks are kind of following the the uh you know the the chronology of unlocks here and kind of learning the tricks of the trade as they go. Yeah, it's almost like, ha, ah, we got you last time with that thing. Now let's do that thing plus something weirder and just make it even crazier. I'm not going to say like what it is exactly, but uh, I think especially unlocks on the app, they're trying, they're, they're going a little crazy on the app stuff, uh, especially, yeah, just in general. I'd say in general, like the two that we played were like really reliant on weird app tricks with like the, the you play it with a tablet or a phone usually i kind of recommend a tablet actually lately because the phone like because they just keep using the app and that uh, more and more you probably should use a larger screen and just kind of more visible to everyone around the table as opposed to a single phone but yeah just just kind of really strange yeah. how'd you like the second one though i think the second one was like really good actually in retrospect i really like the puzzles and everything the no side one yeah Animal i thought uh yeah oh sorry no, the animal-o-matic is what it's called or something like a no-side adventure or of, of Professor No-Side. Yeah, that was a really fun one because the puzzles were engaging and um, when you solved it, 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 to sort of thinking back to a conversation we had several episodes ago, it, it just, every time you're solving something like that, you just feel like you're doing cool things. Um, and the, the theme of it was fun and and kind of whimsical and cool i don't know it was, it was just a, it was a good experience i i think uh puzzles like that just are are really fun and and i would be really interested in playing more like that 
Yeah, uh, I, there's some kind of a fine line for me between a puzzle that's just like, wow, that was dumb, or some kind of puzzle that's like, even if it's something silly, like it was like, wow, that's actually really cool. And I don't know where that line is, but I think we have the two that we played from the Mythic Adventures. We actually haven't played the last one, which was the most complicated one or whatever, uh, supposedly. I don't know whatever that means, though, because the easy one supposedly had like really weird solutions to the puzzles so even though technically they're like easy they are just so weird that you might just not think of them at all uh, yeah well i remember we we sat there uh working on a clue in the first one that just like wasted a lot of time and we did what we thought it was asking us to do but it wanted us to do the same thing just with a different interface so uh yeah it's like you said, the app stuff is getting kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, gosh, anyway, I forgot what I was actually talking about <laughs> previously. <laughs> uh, but unlocks, unlocks are good in general. I enjoyed them. Just just kind of, they're just getting a little bit bizarre, I think. That's kind yeah. of the summary of it. I would say the second one we played, the Animal-O-Matic, um, did really well at integrating the story into the puzzles um which made it all the more fun i think yeah i don't know where the magic line is like uh from when a puzzle feels like dumb to where it feels clever because to me the no side puzzles were actually kind of more clever than the first ones but i don't know what that means really uh, because they're very kind of similar. Maybe, like you say, maybe they're just like more tied into the story and they actually make sense like with what you're doing. Like they just like adds to the theme as opposed to just kind of some random, haha, I thought of that weird thing that we made you do and that's about it. Yeah, I think the more abstract and detached from intuitiveness the puzzles become, the less fun it is, I think. But I still like Unlocks. I'm looking forward to doing the third one. Maybe even this week we'll see. And yeah, that should be fun. I like Unlocks a lot. Speaking of things you like a lot, the next game we played is uh, called Prodigal's Club. This is designed by Vladimir Suchi and published by Czech Games Edition. Um, the re- <laughs> I make a joke saying that Hristo loves it because we, we played a the like full crazy version of the prodigals club by uh swapping out one of the three modules you could play the game with uh with the entire game of last will which is kind of like the predecessor to the prodigals club uh but basically the the general theme of this game is you're just trying you're some uh young people with lots of money to lose in uh victorian england so you're just like trying to ruin your political reputation by losing all the votes for you and then you're trying to squander away all of your possessions and money and then you're um also just trying to lose influence in your social circles and just become really unpopular um so it's it's kind of a really funny funny thing where you just it's a race to the bottom but in each of these competitions losing votes losing possessions and losing um influence or social prowess i guess uh you try to make them all go down because at the end of the game uh your your score for the game is your highest score of the three competitions so you're trying to you 
kind of try to suck at all of them. And by sucking at all of them, you actually have to do well at decreasing them. So it's kind of an interesting um, approach to the game. And the way we played, you take the possessions module of the game and you swap that out for the last will, which is an, a separate game entirely. And last will is a similar theme. Uh, the game is basically your rich uncle just died and left and uh, realized that he didn't have enough time in his life to enjoy all his millions and millions of pounds. And so you, he gives his, uh, his, uh, I guess, heirs each a certain sum of money. And the game is you try to just spend it all, uh, be the first one to, or, you know, be the one to spend the most and get into debt or whatever. And then whoever does that supposedly enjoyed the money the most, and then is going to get the rest of the fortune. Um, and in that game, uh, it's similar to the possessions game in Prodigal's Club. Uh, you're basically like uh, buying properties and then using your properties to spend money. And then you have like assistance and things uh, that uh, help you spend money or or you know lose popularity in different ways and then you can have companions like uh, dogs and horses and stuff that make it more expensive to like run your farms and buildings and basically it's all just the similar theme of trying to get rid of everything um i think well i'll, I'll let Haristo uh say his piece before i i uh, <laughs> say <laughs> say what i thought of it what did you think of the game, Risto? Or the uh, games? Yeah, you don't want to know what I thought about the games. Just kidding, kind of. Uh, actually, no, I came in with the uh, perspective of having played Prodigal's Club like a long time ago. I didn't remember some things about the rules, but it kind of came back throughout the game, unfortunately. <laughs> so, But I was kind of expecting the game with Last Will to be basically Prodigal's Club with last will as like a cooler possessions module i think what it turned out to be is actually last will with prodigal's club as a module or basically kind of like a 50 50 game uh the weirdest thing and the most awkward thing i think of all is uh there's these symbols which Prodigal's Club is like entirely built on, and I, Last Will is built on to on, on them to some degree, but I think they're more prominent in Prodigal's Club and just kind of like more. Uh, Prodigal's Club is just in general more like combo-y, I think. And those symbols cannot cross over between Prodigal's Club and Last Will, except from these black bordered cards, which are like very minor, minor crossover, which a lot of them don't even like match Prodigal's Club, actually the ones I had on my board anyway. Uh, so what ended up uh, happening is you're just basically kind of like playing two different games. Uh, but at the same time, you're just playing them with shared workers, which is like really, really weird. Uh, the other thing is like uh, when we were explaining the rules, I was a little bit shaky with my understanding of uh, Last Will, but it had been a while and the rules explanation was actually quite long and I was just like, well, screw it, let's just start playing. And then the play time went over like two hours and it was just like overall just a, like a kind of a disaster experience so in summary i think i would only recommend playing last will with prodigal's club if you have played both games quite a bit um i don't think learning last will at the same time as like playing prodigal's club was a good idea 
Uh, but I think if you've played both games at the same time, or like if you understand like the rules to them very well, I think that's a good idea. Otherwise, someone called it actually a novelty. I kind of agree. It is a little bit of a novelty, like uh, technically two games that shouldn't be played with each other. They just thought like, oh, they're just so similar. Let's just make it happen. And they kind of wrote some rules for it, and I think they let it ride. But kind of with a tight game and a very like carefully put together game like Protocols Club, like replacing a module with a different game and not letting them bleed over is I think just kind of a really bad idea. The other extremely awkward thing and annoying to me is that the icons which don't cross over are the same in the game. So you can make these like yellow horses in Protocols Club or Last Will, but they can't cross over like you can play them as companions in last will they don't cross over to prodigals you can play them you can make them as usual on your like circles or beyond them with like your people or whatever in last will uh, prodigals club you cannot use them in last will so it's just like this weird like there's the same symbol but you can't actually use it in the other game so like they're, you're playing like literally two different games it's just like really 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 strange experience but anyway yeah, yeah. It, it was weird and you know I, I came at this from the perspective of not having played either of these games before so really this was kind of like my first introduction and so i was approaching it without the same frustration uh that the others players had because i didn't really like know what I should be expecting in Prodigal's Club. So I just kind of went through the game uh, playing with what the game allowed me to do and had a good time with it. That being said, I share the frustrations that you have um, because although I think the game, quote, worked in, in some strange way, it compared to other Suki games I've played, it just had some clunk. Um, yeah i mean it, also some things like the game of last will is designed to be seven rounds so you just like stage those cards that you stage for the seven rounds but they don't get used so like only part of the final you know batch of cards comes out because the game's two rounds shorter just like weirdness like that like and the, the like the the balancing i think of last will is probably worked out to be like over seven rounds as opposed to five but anyway yeah sorry uh, yeah. yeah no I, that's exactly right i think that there were just the points of clunk and confusion you know that we couldn't necessarily like find exact answers from the rule book although i think we ultimately we didn't really make any rules mistakes that we could spot uh, but the the clunk came from last will interfacing with incompatible parts of prodigal's club um so it, there was just some confusion on some pretty key things that um for you and the other player actually caused some like some maybe missteps in terms of actions you took. Uh, I didn't have the same experience because like I said, I, I didn't have those expectations. So I was literally just kind of experiencing it all for the first time and, and had fun with it. But that being said, even, even though I think that this would probably work better if, like you said, if you knew Last Will and Prodigal's Club really well, I, I think I'd rather just play them separately, honestly. Yep. Um, I, it, it was, as you say, a novelty and it did work technically, but you know, I, I think I'm just from now on, I'm looking to play prodigals club 
with all three of its dedicated modules. And then um, I actually, how what is the playtime on Last Will? I'm curious. Uh, I should be like, actually, a lot of people say I was looking for, for bad reviews to commiserate because I don't think I'm going to like it too much. Uh, some people are saying, like, you explain the rules for an hour and the game's actually like 45 minutes. It's like really yeah. quick. So I the... think Last Will Alone would be really, really short and dumb on the dumb side. Uh, Prodigal's Club actually is a little bit more involved because there's like decisions and thinking, but it usually is like an hour and a half or something is what I would say. Yeah, because that's the exact impression I got uh, when I was playing Last Will I, and I thought about it afterwards. It's it's a kind of, I think, going to be a fairly lucky game because it's my opinion is that Last Will is actually really just a card game. Yeah. Um, and so yeah no i was laughing about it uh, later because yeah i was saying like it's a worker placement game where you can select to place one worker per round in seven rounds basically you're like kind of drawing cards off of the top of decks and you're trying to make them work i think that's yeah. basically the game yeah so last will is a card game and i f i felt playing it together with prodigals i looked at the last will part of the game and thought well, if that's a full game, it shouldn't be any more than 30 minutes because I think that Last Will's kind of supposed to be just whimsical and dumb. You know, it's supposed to be just like this hilariously stupid theme of just trying to spend all of your money. And that's your sole focus. So you just try to like blast cards and things that let you spend money. Um and I think it would work that way if you just approach it as kind of a dumb game. But uh, then I also have the concern that maybe there's a, enough happening in last will that it doesn't feel that light when it should be yeah. that kind of a light game you know yeah um, maybe i've heard it's uh, i've read reviews that's difficult to explain to new people and i can totally see that because even though you explained it i kind of started the game like not really understanding what i'm doing until like round two or something or three when i saw like a full round of how it plays out with the action economy and stuff the action economy is just really weird i kind of didn't get it at first and i picked up a bunch of cards that i couldn't play and i wasted them and it was just like uh, basically kind of <laughs> really, really bad. Uh, and that was obviously my lowest score because, I, like I say, I think you should play Last Will alone before trying to play it and learn it together with Prodigals. I think that's a pretty good idea. Yeah, because it is strange because in, in, in Last Will, you have this action economy that Russo is saying where basically the, the place you select at the beginning of this, so there's a planning phase and everybody selects a spot on this uh, linear track, which will give you a combination of cards to draw and a certain number influences how many workers you have for the round, as well as how many action points you have. And playing cards and doing the actions on cards take action points, whereas in Prodigal's Club, there's no action economy. It's all just get the cards in the right combinations and then play them in the right order, and it's all just kind of more combo combo-tastic, I guess. Yeah. No, there's a huge buildup of... Uh symbols in prodigal and that's what made me probably the angriest of all is they like disable sharing of symbols between the games because uh, i really like the symbol game because the symbol game basically you kind of build up symbols in the earlier rounds and then you trigger those symbols later for kind of combo-y cards and you play these like long chains of cards that depend on some symbol to give you like four of the same thing or like really just kind of cool stuff towards the end of the game 
and uh, you can't share symbols. So, and I started building symbols, and I think also the other player that we played with, uh, he started building symbols. And then, like round two or three, we discovered that you can't share symbols because we read the rule book of like the integration section, which probably we should have realized earlier. But that's I guess on us. But then we're like, well, I guess like last will doesn't work that way. So let's uh, let's start learning how to play last will. Anyway, that's kind of what it felt like, just like fumbling through kind of last. Yeah. Will and, and not realizing things until it's too late. I kind of wonder what the decision was there to, you know, for example, your circle of influence tiles and prodigals. I actually think um, it, uh, the concern is it's going to make things more too powerful, probably, because in yeah. prodigals you can create so many symbols that, like, I think you you might it might just be too easy to play last will with the amount of symbols you can create in prodigals. Maybe. Yeah, that could be because in prodigal or sorry, in last will, it's kind of supposed to be a challenge to get. All of your companions in yeah and i guess in prodigals if you could just spam it uh yeah it might just like make that part of the game way too easy it's probably yeah, what, yeah. what the decision was also if you could pick up like five companions which is basically symbols and you can again like spam them like you say like play three horses and like trigger two cards and prodigals off of that that might be just a little a little ridiculous i think that's why they separated them they're just like this kind of doesn't quite work so to keep the rules simple let's just like create a wall between the two games and not let them share symbols yeah so ultimately um i my conclusion, uh, my first impression, really, is Prodigal's Club is, is is a fantastic game with a hilarious theme. I'm really looking forward to playing that one more. Last Will, I think I would like it with the understanding and expectation from everybody at the table that this is a dumb 30-minute card game and play it as such, right? Um, if it If it dragged on, I think it would just kind of lose its fun. Yeah. In retrospect, I think like instead of starting the atrocity that we played, I probably should have said like let's just play Last Will alone. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I kind of didn't really understand Last Will, but I really like Prodigals. I think just the combination of them is really kind of clashy because the whole game of Prodigals is actually like kind of open information. All the cards are visible. Everything is like really tight like there's no drawing off of the top of decks and last will i think is the exact opposite it's like dependent on like knowing decks and drawing off the top of decks just like really really strange combination to replace uh prodigal's club module with it uh but actually i do like prodigals a lot um uh, i actually bought the last copy from game nerds <laughs> uh yesterday <laughs> it kind of reminded <laughs> me that i don't have the game uh but i think last will i would maybe cautiously try it someday but i'm just kind of not huge on like drawing off the top of decks like I, that's something i really like about prodigals is like kind of every card is visible and you try to select the best pile of them to kind of get to where you're going yeah and you never draw off top of decks you never draw off top of decks you set up the round and it's a worker placement game so you just like you just do worker placement and all the cards visible everything you're getting is visible uh anyway just just whatever but yeah it's almost kind of amazing that it's the same designer and the same theme because they do feel like kind of very different games even though they share like the same i guess flow of how the rounds go uh but I really like Prodigal's Will, Last Will. I don't know about that one. 
Yeah, like I said, I, I think it might be fun if you just treat it as a small filler game and people don't take it too seriously and you just kind of have fun with it. But I, my concern is that I, I don't know that it ends up playing out that way. Yeah. Well, at least we tried it and it was a once in a lifetime probably experience. <laughs> yeah. Unless, I don't know that I'd recommend it, actually. I, yeah. I just don't even know that it's worth it. No, I think it's a very edgy thing. I think uh, we almost wanted to try it as a novelty, but I think you should really only do it if you're very familiar with both Prodigals and Last Will, because literally you're playing both of them, not really integrated. They're playing them separately with the same workers. So you just kind of need to know how to spend your workers between them. Yeah, and to your point, it actually, I think Last Will kind of took the front seat Yep. to the game because the uh losing votes game and the uh other influence game kind of s- they felt like smaller mini games even though the impact of how well you did in them is just as just as much weight it just yeah. felt like uh, and maybe that's also because last will just has a much larger physical presence than the rest of prodigals does yeah, also, I mean, actually, the the other annoying thing was, like, you know, uh, I actually, I don't know if you know, but if you play Prodigals Club, the action selection for player order is in the middle of the board. It's kind of like you basically, uh, you can go there to claim an order in the player order of the next round, which is actually very significant. They completely replaced it with last will selection, and I think that's what makes it kind of feel like the leading game is the first thing and the biggest thing you think about is like how many last will actions you want to do and how many last will cards you should get and how many last will uh things you should do and then you kind of also look at prodigals and like oh by the way which space do i want to be in but like really last will is the decision i think of which space you're choosing for the round and prodigals is kind of like oh hopefully i'll piece something together over there that's kind of what it felt like to me Yep. But anyway, yeah, I, I like I say, I really like Prodigals a lot. Uh, I'll play Last Will someday. I only recommend it if you have a lot of experience with both games. Uh, definitely not for new people, not even for maybe experienced people. Just very strange combination. Yep. Anyway, that's uh, Prodigals Club. What do you want to talk about? So this week and last week, I've played quite a few games of Kubitos, actually, which is amazing because I played them all uh, live, and that usually doesn't happen, me playing the same game over and over, uh, like six or seven times now. But uh, this meetup where I go to play games in the game store, actually, we just kind of kept playing it there with different people. Um, and then someone else bought the game and I played it at their house and basically I've played the game like six or seven times now. Uh, I've only played the first three like scenarios or presets or whatever you want to call them. There's seven of them, uh, which correspond to the seven different abilities you can do in the game. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned Cubitos a few podcasts ago as kind of a upcoming game. Kubitos is, uh, to me, basically a straight-up replacement of 
quarks of Quedlinburg. Uh, instead of drawing things out of a bag, though, which is quarks, which is a push-your-luck game, I guess I should say, you're racing around the track, and the way you're racing is you are rolling dice. You're rolling dice many times, lots of dice, lots of different dice. There's a little bit of a deck-building mechanic with the dice, like you have a hand or roll area or whatever. You have a draw area, you have a discard area, so you roll dice, you discard them, then you draw the dice from your draw area. If it's empty, you you put your discard area in the draw area, and unlike deck builders where you like shuffle and draw randomly, you can pick which dice you want to draw, so you can draw kind of your good dice, but then obviously you have to draw your bad dice afterwards. You can't like not draw your bad dice you can just kind of delay them a little bit so it kind of gives this like ebb and flow to the game uh but the reason i say it's kind of a straight up replacement for quacks is like uh, a lot of the powers feel very similar to quacks of quedlinburg is what i'm talking about uh which just almost have like the same type of powers really uh just kind of very very similar uh but what is the point the point is you roll dice to buy better dice and they do all kinds of different effects there's like a majority mini game you play with uh, what symbols you roll on dice there's a mini game of like collecting rewards uh not mini game just like dice which collect rewards dice which trash other dice basically anything you'll find like in a deck building game uh the buy power is also on dice and the movement in the game is also on dice which the movement is basically the game uh so you're trying to just win the race first uh, cross the finish line first i continue to really like this game even after playing it like uh, five or six times i think it's really interesting how the first second and third scenario that i've played they all have their very distinct feels they feel just like very different from each other the first one is probably the most basic one it's like your basic kind of deck building game where you can buy a die which gives you just more buy power and the die which gives you more movement and the die which gives you kind of rewards uh, and the die which kind of is luck mitig mitigation you can kind of keep re-rolling it uh so that one is probably the most simple one then they get weird with like all kinds of different things like combinations of colors is the second one and then just kind of different just weird effects and i'm looking forward to the even more bizarre combination combinations uh I don't know what the complaints about the components are um, in the game. Like some people are complaining that the boxes are a little like bad or something. I think they're kind of fine for what they are. The dice could be larger, but like I have zero complaints about the components of the game. Um, I think it just looks really cool. I was actually looking at there's even an insert if you don't like the uh, components that are built in on like Etsy. There's a bunch of people that have printed stuff, and I think there's even a wooden insert that looked really good where it like props up the cards so you can look at them so you don't have to place them on the table but overall i just like really like this game uh for some reason which is very weird because usually i kind of don't like push your luck games at all uh but i think it's actually the element of rolling dice is way more fun than quacks of quedlinburg and I think in Quacks of Quedlinburg, if you pull, if you basically blow up, you kind of get no compensation other than like starting on the higher space, which is kind of boring. In Cubitos, uh, you go up on this track and you can get things like increased hand size or more buy power. There are actually dice which work off of that track. So like the more you either blow up or go up on it through other effects, like there's these flags around the board 
you can just kind of use it with dice effects, uh, which, for example, move you different number of spaces or whatever. But anyway, just like really a lot of fun. Trevor also played it just one time, um, so you don't have as much experience. You're not as pro at uh, Cubitos as me. So what did you think about that one play, I guess? Yeah, I got to work on my push your luck skills. I got to get better <laughs> rolling dice. <laughs> no, yeah. So speaking of which, though, there is definitely strategy, but there's also obviously a lot of luck. Uh, the, there definitely is like strategy of seeing things that work with each other and going for it. But I mean, obviously, if everyone does the exact same thing, uh, whoever gets the most luck, you will probably win. But there's like really decent, in my opinion, catch up mechanisms to kind of mitigate for the one or two blow-ups you might have per game. Yeah, um, I think the game's really cool uh, from the first one time I've played it, and here's why I think it works. Um, first of all, it's a race game, so there's a really simple goal to the push-your-luck element, so it's it's not overly you know convoluted or complex, uh, so it, it still just kind of feels fun, and, and it, it really... Uh, like has fun tension is what I would say. Um, and then the other thing is that it, it makes you feel like you're actually making some choices because you're basically building your hand of dice with the different abilities of the cards. So uh, I think that is cool. And like you said, allows you to mitigate some things and um, feel like you have some influence, but ultimately you're just rolling dice. So for, for those two reasons, I think the game's cool and works and um, is fun to play. Yeah, I think basically your decisions in the game are how far do you want to push the luck with the rolls and what dice to buy and actually where to go on the board. That's also kind of a decision. Obviously, the decision uh, usually the decision comes down to like, do I go for bonuses which are on the edge, hoping to catch up later, or do I go like for the short straight line which has no bonuses and risk that someone with bonuses might catch up on me later and catch-ups definitely happen like uh it's not like a game uh, that's actually a major reason why i like the game is i feel like in quacks they're the catch-up mechanism is there but it kind of like doesn't really work in my opinion like i don't know it's that's that means people might disagree like a lot or whatever but uh in my opinion from what i've seen like if someone pulls significantly ahead in quacks they've built like a really good bag unless they have some like epically bad luck they're just gonna kind of continue just rolling forward and to some degree that's true in kubitos as well but i think you can like if you build a really good bag and that takes like one or two turns longer and you're behind by even like five or something spaces you can definitely come back to catch up with the leader like significantly just by the better dice bag that you've built or whatever dice hand i guess or dice deck i don't know what to call it dice pile <laughs> yeah. pile it's a pile builder the pile, pile building game uh but yeah it's 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 just like i don't know for me like quacks had says like no fun for some reason to the point where i kind of started hating it because like i just expect to blow up in that game anytime and just kind of get nothing for it and in cubitos it's just like just like lots of fun to just roll dice for some reason maybe it's just the dice rolling versus back back pulling as well i was thinking about that is this a bad time to tell you that quacks is my favorite game uh probably yeah yeah okay i won't <laughs> okay good no i've actually never played quacks and i i can't say that i ever had much interest in playing it yeah uh, to me it just feels exactly like cubitos but 
way less boring and just more lucky in some ways so yeah i don't know people might disagree there's probably fans of both games but i really really like kubitos i think it's maybe like the best push your luck game that i've maybe played like ever i don't know i can't think of like a better uh game with a significant push your luck element that's kind of does it better uh even clank like it just uh Clank, sometimes you just like feel angry because the card market is terrible and you reveal an awesome card for the next player and they win the game. <laughs> and Kubitos is just like a lot of fun and you might blow up, but so well, yeah. you hope you get compensated on the track and hope that you do better next time. Well, Kubitos is Clank with a static market, just an entirely static market. Yeah. I actually do like the static market. That doesn't bother me at all in Kubitos. I think it's cool. I think it's cool because you can buy multiples of the same, and it's kind of a different vibe. It's it's not really kind of the same, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it'd be a little crazy if they made dice that, like, every die does a different thing, and there's, like, 30 of them, like a, an entire deck of cards, like it is with Clank. That would be pretty nuts. That's a crazy idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe play a variant of Kubitos where you play with all of the cards <laughs> yeah uh, you can't really do that or like you designate yeah no the colors wouldn't work those are all bad ideas Kubitos works awesomely the way it is no my way is better <laughs> alright uh, well let's move into our topic for the day which is Hidden information in tabletop games. So, hidden information. Actually, what spawned this discussion was a discussion about Board Game Arena and how it displays your score, which usually you can't do in real life. Uh, specifically with Nida Velir. I've been playing kind of a lot of Nida Velir. Well, not a lot, but I played a few games of Nida Velir. And it does your score like completely real time. Every single card you take, even the majorities, like it recalculates the majorities. There's like nothing at the end of the game. Basically, what you see on the screen at the end of the game is your score. Um, so kind of, kind of interesting. Um, I don't think you can do that in real life. Like there's a scoring pad and the game gets to ridiculous scores like 300 or something. And you definitely cannot do the math all the time. Or I guess you can technically, but you probably shouldn't. Otherwise, people might get kind of angry with, <laughs> with you. Or maybe you should play with a calculator or something if you're doing that. You know what I mean? That would be so annoying. <laughs> yep. Someone can you imagine someone like that would you take, suck all the fun yeah, out of the game. You take, a, you take some card and someone like updates their Excel spreadsheet with like, oh, he took a card plus twenty five. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but anyway, that's effectively what Board Game Arena is doing. And at the, I don't know, to some extent that we we're just talking about, it kind of changes the game. Um, I've been playing a lot of Beyond the Sun, which uh, I'll talk about in the future in some more detail. We kind of mentioned it as uh, played before, but that does the same thing. And there's actually a lot of games where they don't hide the score. In some of them, they do the end game scoring so it is kind of uh less visible so it's not exactly like nidavillier where it's like calculating majorities as if they happened at the end of the game and craziness but yeah um yeah what do you think about just um bga displaying scores 
dynamically do you feel like it changes so, do you feel like it changes games like the way they're intended to function in some ways i think it depends on what the intent of the original design or at least the perceived intent of the original design was um, because i think what bga does is it serves as like this robot set of crutches that can basically feed you board state which you would normally have to you know observe yourself so for example with a game like knit of Alir, i think it actually harms the experience because part of what knit of Alir is is trying to sort of determine on the fly what's going to be the best option for you without just like handing somebody the game um and if the game if the score is calculated real time and adjusted dynamically in front of your eyes then like basically the game's telling you what decisions you need to make um you know it's not quite as simple as that but that's just kind of the feeling i get and so where there's my general opinion which may have exceptions we'll i guess we'll flesh this out in this conversation is that if the <laughs> If you were playing a physical copy of the game and you were not able to observe readily like a total point score, then BGA, I think, definitely would influence your decision points in the game. If the, if the game has any sort of player interaction, I think that it's going to influence what you do for sure. Yeah, basically what it comes down to is because you can see people score, if there's any mechanism that you can attack people, you should probably attack the person with the highest score, or at least that's what most people do um, on BGA or should do. And conversely, it just maybe makes you angry if they don't do it and they attack you instead and you're not leading and someone's leading and you're just like, Arr. but yeah, yeah, it just kind of, uh, to your point, yeah, it kind of takes away from being able to tell what's going on on the board, but in some ways it makes games, I guess, more like, accessible to newer people who don't understand the scoring of the game because like the 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 interface spoon feeds you the score and it's like here there you go this is how the game is scored uh so you don't attack like the wrong person or something but i don't know to my in my opinion actually i kind of don't like it so much i wish they put it as like question mark and uh let people just look at the board and calculate it at the end which is what the physical game kind of does uh just yeah. in general because I think I think that part of the well, this is just maybe my own personal opinion is that I think that part of the fun of playing a game is getting good at being able to read what we call board state, right? So yeah, like, yeah. You, who's a, leading? A who really, has potential? Yeah, who doesn't have exactly. potential? Maybe they're exactly. leading now, but like they won't be leading in next round because someone is going to explode or something. Right. Yeah, and like in a really easy example of this is root right so like it's it's really easy to see who's got the most points but being able to see kind of who is weak and who is strong requires you to kind of know the game and, yep. and anticipate what people are capable of doing and i think that if if a digital implementation like bga is kind of feeding you information then i think it's just giving you I don't know. It's almost playing. It's like playing the game with Clippy. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, I see you've got some resources there. <laughs> I see you're trying to I see you're trying to convert these into wood. Let me help you with that. Yeah. Um, they almost so should I, highlight like potential good actions that the, yeah. <laughs> that the next player might take. <laughs> yeah, like if you're if you're sitting there for a couple minutes and you don't take anything then it like an app does it might like <laughs> highlight, highlight hey, maybe highlight you the suggested your... action. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, but uh, really that's effectively in some games I think that's really what it's kind of doing if you have any any rudimentary knowledge of the game system i think that's kind of what it's doing yeah the ridiculous thing is they do have the technical capability of doing it the other way i think there are some games where the scores are specifically hidden and they display like a question mark until the end uh there are actually some games which function on hidden scores and those are kind of memory games uh trevor's uh, favorite um, yeah, category actually also my favorite category i'm being sarcastic because memory games are just kind of like no but uh no thanks is actually a pretty good example of a game where the entire game's fun game functions on you not being able to see how much money people have to pass on the cards uh because there's a risk of like you might want to push a card to try to get more out of it, but someone might actually take it from you because they just can't afford to keep paying. So technically you can track every single spent coin, but like, are you kidding me? Unless you're some kind of wizard freak, you're not going to be able to track like five people's what they're like spending one by one and who's has more you might have like a general idea of like oh this person has a lot but i don't think you're going to be able to track like this person has like two left so i can only pass let this card pass around twice so there's definitely some games where like i think they're built on hidden information and there's not even a question like should it be hidden or should it be open uh games like nether i think uh, generally they're technically open but like i say uh technically speaking they are but practically no one's going to be able to calculate score of 300 in real time that's why it's kind of like this gray area uh, to me of should it should it be open or should it not be open uh, actually a lot of auctioning games have different takes on whether things should be secret or not secret um, even things like uh, the Knizia trilogy by the same designer. Uh, modern art has specifically very hidden money uh, behind shields and stuff. But Ra uh, and Medici, like this money is basically on the board. Like you can see exactly what people have. Everything's public. Uh, so even the same designer, like kind of depending on, I guess, what the auction game requires, they might switch between styles of like hidden money or open money. Raccoon Tycoon is actually another one where where um, it's hidden. High society is like a mix of hidden and open. So yeah, just kind of uh, very interesting. And I think it's a very deliberate game design, particularly with auctioning games. I wish like more designers were more specific about kind of like don't try not to pre-calculate scores in your head or something technically it's open but just kind of have fun with the game i wish they put that sentence in they just kind of usually don't even address it uh, sometimes and i like looking for like should the money be closed or open in games in general yeah i think as to the question of you know do do you prefer hidden or open information in a game i 
I think my ideal mix is kind of a mixture of both. I kind of like where you can kind of see points or money or whatever accumulating during the game and you can see how much resource people have. But I do like games that kind of have a end game scoring mechanism that, that adds score to that. And so, but with that being said, I don't mind games that have a lot of open information. I like those. I also like games that are predicated on having a lot of hidden information and uh, I think that the issue becomes in like a di- digital implementation of the game. If the implementation is sort of helping you understand things that you would not, that you would otherwise have to expend some effort to understand, I think that that's, in my opinion, diminishing the experience of the game. Yeah. Uh, do you hear that, Matt and Justine? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, that's the, my personal preference. <laughs> the joke is that actually Matt and Justine have house ruled some games, which actually do require like they come with shields and stuff. And so I can't remember which game it was. It definitely not a big deal. Like it doesn't break the game, but they generally really dislike uh, hidden information and like memory stuff in board games. And I think they have house rules, house ruled like games that they play that are being to be open information stop it uh so yeah not not good (laughs) you're breaking the games uh no but i i like uh to your point i think a mixture is really good as well uh for example actually renature is one of one of the games where there's a mixture of things uh usually the way it works is you can kind of see some points in the middle of the game but there's also an end game scoring phase where in renature for example there's these face down tokens and they just like add points and the points you pick up you can't you you can see someone having a lot of tokens but you don't know if they're like threes or ones or whatever there's variable amounts of points on them uh same thing in cthulhu wars uh usually in area controls there's uh preferably some some kind of hidden like scoring because i think otherwise area controls are a little bit uh, maybe a little too chessy actually and i was wanted to go into that discussion is does does a completely open information game with like completely transparent scoring and no end game scoring does that turn into kind of chess <laughs> for you too much because in my experience it actually kind of does like i don't like games where everything's out in the open um like what's an example gosh, you're thinking of i don't know Actually, the funny thing is, as I'm saying that, the hilarious thing is like Prodigal's Club is actually everything's in the open. There's nothing hidden in that game, I guess, other Although, than other, other than cards you're holding. But oh, and there's what cards, cards are coming out? The, the cards that yeah, are coming exactly. out. That's kind of the hidden information. But uh, I don't know. Gosh, what is gosh? What is a game? Oh, actually, a lot of the the tea games are, I think, technically very open information the future is not known and like something that my top deck is not known but i think i don't know for some reason and by, they, by t games you're referring to sulkin teotua khan yes uh, trismegistus yes, yes, to to that type of stuff actually no no i have an even better example unfortunately i haven't played it kemet kemet is a game where all the victory points are open and you can clearly see them and it's a technology build-up area control game and uh, to to a lot of 
the like usually the way the game ends in my experience i haven't played it like overly much but i've played like five games or of it throughout the years or something but uh because the points are no the whole game is like a race to 10 points oh speaking of which shades of dune as well that's the exact same thing but at least you can't see people's hands or what they can do but you can see their points and see who, at who attack but exactly the same concept as dune imperium you can see people's points and you're trying to get to 10 and i think it was 10 and usually what ends up happening in Kemet is because unlike Dune where some points just can't be taken away, in Kemet every point can be taken away or just about <laughs> every point. So it just turns into this game where like there's this edgy round where everyone has like eight or nine points and usually it comes down to like turn order and who can pull off the biggest BS combo at the end of the game to just kind of like edge those two points to win the game and that's in my opinion is like uh, that's kind of a prime example of like uh, i still like the game a lot but like ev having everything in the open kind of changes the feel of the game from well i'll just try to do the best i can versus i'm like super hardcore thinking how to cut points from the leader and add points to me and everything's out in the open so it's just kind of a lot of thinking and just like really careful deliberations of turn order and just all kinds of things like that so that's that's yeah. what i mean by like kind of the, every, having everything in the open can be just lead to kind of some ap some slowness some ridiculously complicated decisions the desperation sometimes you just can't you just can't make it and you can see that you can't make it and you're just like well i'm done so should, who <laughs> yeah. should i king make or something you know like those kind of things so i i think that for me the question would come down to is the game scripted if all if the all the information is out there every game does the game play the exact same way every time um and if the answer is yes, then I think maybe the game just stops being interesting after one or two plays. Um, That's kind of in general true for every game. I think I I generally like games with like different <laughs> different strategies. If you know what I mean, like uh, yeah. different yeah, ways to to play. Yeah, that's kind of like a general gaming concept. But maybe maybe um, you know complete open information games just are kind of they're more prone to fall to the fault of well this game is just the same every time yeah. um, because a lot of what it's like for example with dune although you can see the points generally there are kind of hidden things that can swing that so <laughs> the, the there are cards which you reveal yes two, two victory well, points in a 10 victory point game at the end of the game <laughs> anyway well there's there's that well i mean it's really hard generally to pull off the two victory points but yeah you can it's usually easy to pull off at least one if you draw that card yeah. so you could you could have an a hidden point that way also you could have hidden cards that swing a point on one of the influence tracks with one of the factions so i wouldn't say that it's necessarily super open but like it, it because there's so few points and so few ways to get points it's you're right it is kind of like you you kind of know where the game is going generally but there are things that could kind of surprise you and shake things up maybe um 
but yeah, I, I, I don't think as a design philosophy, I have a, a, any sort of problem with open information. And I do like being able to take informed decisions in games. So to a certain extent, I think open information is necessary. If it's maybe it's on a scale of the heavier the game gets, the more open information, you know, the ratio of open information to hidden information maybe needs to increase. Um, but yeah, I think I think ultimately it would just come down to is does the game play out the exact same way every time? And if it does not, then I think it doesn't it doesn't diminish the experience. But if it does, maybe maybe I would be less inclined to continue playing that game. Speaking of which, there is a game which you have played which is somewhat like Kemet and it's the expanse. I mean, everything is pretty much open information in, in that game. I guess you can't, again, tell the future, and that's some mystery, because who knows what cards are going to come out or what the timing is going to be. But you can clearly see who's winning and who's behind, and basically it kind of determines who you should be attacking. And it's very kind of simple that way, yeah. at least. And I, I don't have any problem whatsoever with Attack the Leader games, because I, I think that's just part of that. I mean, it's, it's just the genre it is. And you're right, with Expanse, the uncertainty comes through, well, what cards are going to be available because that determines what actions you can or want to do. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, like I said, I don't think I have a problem with it. Yeah, yeah, it works really well in some games. I think also um, there are games which kind of lend themselves more to open information. Uh, take that games, actually, like silly take that card games. They're almost basically built on the idea of attacking the leader generally. And because of that, and they want you to not think super hard about them or remember things uh things like love letter actually is what i would say is a take that game even though people don't really think of it that way but uh, i mean you're constantly like eliminating people and you should probably eliminate whoever has the most victory points and they're completely out in the open you can't hide them so you just like attack the leader and then figure it out uh cogs and commissars and things like obviously like exploding kittens you know like those types of games like take that quick take that card games i think they basically thrive on showing you who's leading so that you can attack them and be like ha i attacked you yeah and that's just kind the of the way they thing are about yeah the, the interesting thing about uh love letter or games similar to that is that it starts as completely hidden information but then builds the open information as you play the round so you you build knowledge about what's out there as the, you know the longer you play Yep. But yeah, anyway, that's um, kind of what I had to say about hidden information. I have a little bit of a conclusion, but do you have anything else to say about the topic in general? Well, I'll listen to your conclusion and then I'll disagree <laughs> with you. Yeah. <laughs> no, my uh, the, the thing that I had written down is uh, we already kind of talked about it, but in my opinion... Uh, also there's a psychological thing actually i guess we didn't really talk about that but uh what happens in board game arena and in general in games like area control games which i really dislike is like people will kind of over attack someone and that's really annoying when that happens because basically like you go from first to last and not just last but also often like without hope of even coming back ever <laughs> so because like for example you're leading and three people attack you in succession or something in three different places and basically you go from like 
controlling most of the board to controlling none of the board and then you have to start from there in the middle of the game and i think psychologically that's just a thing that happens and i think having the score visible is unfortunately what makes it even worse uh, especially if you don't like understand how the game works or something and just kind of how the game develops is people just kind of generally tend to over attack people and i've kind of noticed that on board game arena as well as like uh, people will attack uh, someone who's leading or maybe not i don't know uh, I've, I've seen all kinds of bad things about on board game arena like uh, people attacking whoever's losing for example <laughs> but um <laughs> Wait, yeah <laughs> no i mean just like bad plays is what i mean just all oh kinds my. of bs but i think yeah. the tendency when you see a lot of victory points is like everyone go attack that person like drop everything you're doing just like attack them and sometimes it's like a little too much is um just my pet peeve about those kind of open information like they have too many points types of games um but yeah i i, I yeah. appreciate in those types of games when the designer provides alternative paths to victory so like for example i mean blood rage isn't the best example of this but uh, i'd say definitely not there's like a little huge engine element to blood rage well, there's an engine element, but your engine element isn't necessarily having all the, the you know, the most people on the map. Yeah, you yeah, can it's actually clan get clobbered boards, and I win. Think. Yeah. Uh, well, the clan boards are all the same, but it's the it's the cards you choose and draft. So, like, you you could build an engine that's dependent on having a lot of guys, and then people just destroy you, and then it doesn't work out. But there are other strategies that can emerge as you play. Um, so that's not the best example. Another example that came to mind is is Oath, which we played recently, where you could technically get like kind of edged out of having like a control game, but if you're not the Chancellor or you're in exile and you have at least the possibility of finding an, a vision card and then winning a different way. So technically, like there's there's outs to that problem, but still very much it's kind of hard to escape uh, smack the leader elements because they're just kind of inherent to those types of games area yeah, control yeah. yeah multiple win conditions definitely address some of the issue there uh, so it's not all dependent on like amounts of areas you control or something in area controls but uh just in general like you know, i've just noticed like the tendency in these kind of games is like to over attack people uh, yeah but uh, in general, in my opinion, the more closed uh, information, the more kind of the AP is actually reduced, the turns are quicker, and uh, you unfortunately also need more experience, I think, to kind of read the game. Uh, the more open information there is, it kind of gets a little bit more AP uh, analysis paralysis because you can see what everyone can do. You can see everyone's capabilities and it becomes kind of more like chess to me, but there's arguably probably like, I don't know, maybe less experience to uh, kind of know how the game works because you can kind of see what people are capable of more. Uh, but I don't know if there's like a best what i prefer out of the two i think uh, every game design has kind of arguments for and against closed or open information i like i say i do wish some games specifically said like your money is hidden your resources are hidden or uh, usually if they insist that things are hidden they provide shield so most games are pretty good about that but um, I don't know. It's it's just kind of a pet peeve. I've, I've some games I've kind of wondered if things should be hidden or displayed, but uh, yeah, in general, I actually don't like the 
extremely open games like that where everything is visible in general i, I guess i should say uh some of them are okay though i definitely can think of some examples which are okay but i kind of prefer the like maybe 70 percent of the score is visible and 30 percent isn't because you should kind of in my opinion kind of the game should provide a pretty good indicator of like who's leading but also there should be a mystery of like what happens at the very end and i think that's what maybe the ideal setup for me is yeah. however it depends completely on the game design and that could be completely inappropriate for some game and i'm totally fine with it yeah i, I kind of like when games even if it's hidden they kind of signal to you how many points people have so for example a good uh example that comes to mind is twa um you can kind of guess having paid attention over the course of the game you, people take these point tokens and they're face down and so you can kind of guess if you've been paying attention to how the game's going you you can kind of see okay this person maybe has a lot of points <laughs> they're a contender to win there are also the hidden uh I, personality cards that, that score so. at the end of the game so there is some hidden scoring which i also really like so twa has a has a i think of this cool balance of semi-hidden and also semi-hidden actually because if you're if you've played the game enough you can kind of pay attention to what people are doing and then you might <laughs> be able to guess what they're doing um but if you've never played the game before that that part of the game is just kind of entirely hidden um but yeah i think i i would agree with you i think uh i like it when a game can sort of indicate who might be leading but then there's also a hidden end game scoring not necessarily hidden, but it's just like you're not. There's you're some not mystery, totally the so it's not completely yeah. perfectly known. Yeah, I think it gives the game some excitement. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's what I was gonna say. Is the more open information also there is, the less I think excitement there is because I mean you can see everything. So what can you get surprised by? Uh, something that you didn't see, and then you feel dumb that you didn't see it. But uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's more definitely more excitement than games which have like cards or something or like something that just kind of can surprise you. Face down tokens, whatever. Uh, they do bring some kind of an excitement. Unfortunately, maybe some luck with it but um that luck and excitement have an interesting relationship that we can talk about in the future maybe but yeah yeah i, I agree uh yeah all right jumping into a couple games on the horizon well as you know no list on this planet would be complete without something gloomy. Are you kidding me? You're looking forward to that card game thingy? No, no, no. This is another this is another one of those situations where I'm like, "What? I'm curious, but I don't know if I'm actually looking forward to it." Uh, it's called Gloomholden, which is basically yeah, that a, is the card thingy. I think it's Gloomhaven like in a card yeah. format or something, right? Yeah, so basically it's a fan-made 18 card no table needed version of Gloomhaven is what it's described as. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. So like, it's like arranging cards in some combination in your hand to do something. There's not even really a good explanation of how it works on the BGG description. Maybe the rules are posted and they're fine. I'm actually just curious to see what this is. I don't know if it's going to be good or if I'll like it, uh, but... <laughs> But I'm I'm interested to see how somebody distilled Gloomhaven down to an 18 card tableless game. 
Yeah, yeah, but I looked at that very briefly and I saw what it is and I was just like, cool. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I don't think that can really be done. I think it's going to be some kind of a cheesy thing, but I have noticed it on the hotness for like two weeks now, which is just kind of a little too much. So I guess the weight well, is. Haven, yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> which is just like ridiculous. Oh, by the way. That's a really high weight. Best with one. And yes, I was going to say 375. What? <laughs> for weight uh, I, I don't know All about right, well, that now, now i have to try it just to see yeah. if it's i'm, I'm just kind of i have like morbid curiosity i don't think this is going to in any way even come close to gloomhaven but i'm just kind of curious what whoever yeah. came up with i guess that's it actually, exactly it actually kind of exactly the way he's holding the cards actually reminds me of a game called palm island which is supposed to be a game that you actually play without a table you hold the cards in your hands and you do weird things like you flip cards to the side you hold them you put them on the back of the deck basically you can just play it like while walking or something that's what it reminds me of i don't know if that's where they borrowed it from but uh just a shout out to palm island which i have not played but i was really interested in this weird concept um anyway yep that's kind of what it reminded oh, me of I figured out why it's uh, 3.75 because like, it's hard to actually hold the cards. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say because one person has voted and that person's the designer no, or something. Actually, actually, four people have voted. <laughs> nice. That's really representative sam sample. Yeah. So I I don't know. But I'm, I'm just like you said, I'm kind of like morbidly curious to see wh what this is. Yep. Because apparently it's like officially sanctioned and condoned by uh uh Fair. so we'll see it's a it's only a print and play so there's no i don't think it's ever gonna be published but uh yeah we'll try it out sometime <laughs> yep uh another game i'm looking forward to you're gonna love this you've got friends pizza and toys but your fort needs a pet oh my gosh fort this expansion? is a yeah, it's an expansion coming up for Fort that's going to add. It's called Cats and Dogs Expansion. Basically, it's two modules that you could play separately or together, and it's just adding dogs and cats. Uh, basically, I think dogs and cats, you try to attract them into your dog house or cat house, um, and they interact differently uh, with elements of, your, of the play area. So, like, for dogs... Uh, basically, if you play a dog, it's kind of going to stay in your doghouse because they're loyal, but they might be a little fussy. So if you play a dog, it one of your friends might also meet its needs because if you neglect it, it'll wander off. And then basically whoever has the most dogs at the end of the game will score seven points. Uh, cats are seemingly more fickle, so they move around a lot, and they'll be attracted to a different player if their yard has cards of specific suits. And so it looks like you might be trying to actually plan which cards you're putting into your yard, which I don't, I don't know how that's going to play. That might be kind of weird. Uh, but anyway, the more cats you have at the end of the game, the more points you score. So it's, it's, uh... Kind of an interesting little module, maybe, of just kind of trying to attract these moving cards around the table to come to your area and stay with you by the end of the game. Mm. Yeah, I'm not super excited about Ford, but sure, I'm kind of 
just kind of slightly interested what they are doing with the system. Um, I wanted to... I don't really have too many games. I'll just uh, mention a couple. Um, I was really curious about them, and I don't know if I'll get to play them anytime soon. Maybe I'll persuade. Um, I saw some someone buy a couple of games recently. They are not known. I'm actually looking one of them up, so that's why I'm <laughs> speaking slowly. But... Kyoto. Kyoto is a negotiation game. Actually, I think it was played next to our disaster of Prodigal's Club plus Last Will on Monday. I never asked how it is. Uh, lightweight negotiation game. I'm always just kind of interested in negotiation games. I think the lighter they are, the less I like them in general. But that one sounded interesting. Uh, it sounded like some kind of a King's Dilemma vibe. But in King's Dilemma, you're kind of voting on... Uh, the same thing in this one I think someone uh, thematically are like presenting at the climate symposium or something and you're giving a speech about like whether we should do something about some kind of problem and uh, people around the table can choose to contribute to that uh, to deal with the problem or let it happen and if it if they let it happen i think it just like pollutes the earth it like makes animals extinct extinct uh makes the temperature rise and all kinds of like climate related things i think it's like a cynical uh take on the climate problem involving money as you can also tell if you look at the cover is like a globe with like money uh exploding out of it so i'm just curious what they can do with a negotiation game and uh what is it 30 to 45 minutes uh, supposedly it sounded decent from the rules, but like I say, I'm very wary of simple negotiation games because the more simple they are, in my opinion, the worse they are <laughs> in general. So I hope that one is decent. Um, uh, the other game is Lost Explorers. Um, I'm just curious what the game is even about because the only thing i could really find is just a few ratings of very few people who have played it uh looked like some kind of a set collection game from uh actually it looks like the person who also created lewis and clark but not the big lewis and clark i think it's oh they he did make lewis and clark uh which is actually a game i like a lot and it's kind of a set collection, simple set collection game. You're trying to collect these tokens and you're trying to go on expeditions around the board. The weird thing about it is the board is actually the box. So it's a very, very portable looking game. You actually open the lid of the box and you use the box to play the game. It doesn't have the best ratings on uh, Board Game Geek, but I'm just kind of curious what it is because it sounded like the mechanics are very just kind of strange. It looks like you can, um, I, from what I got from the rules, you can like bump people and, but you, if you bump them you give them tokens and you're trying to basically set up these positions on the board so that you can score these expeditions and ultimately you're trying to find some kind of lost city on the board um, there's also some slight like engine elements to it the more you move up on the track you uncover these uh, extra like actions you can do or an extra worker so just kind of curious what what that is um, i don't expect it to be super amazing but it looked like a very kind of unique game like not something you would really 
really see that much nowadays and the whole package with like playing out playing inside the box was very interesting as well the only game i've, I've seen that's done that before like playing from the box is uh mechanica uh, mechanica is a game where you use the box as basically the drafting area and you like play basically play out of the box which i actually think is a really cool concept because basically that solves all these insert problems if you put away the game it's done it's set up to play the next time because you just open the box and you play out of it uh it does look a little bit weird but it generally seems to it generally works pretty well uh the big title that unfortunately i have no information about is surprise surprise lost ruins of arnak expedition leaders they beat dune to the first expansion for their game yeah. uh, i have no idea what it is but it looks like asymmetric decks uh which is actually very did you watch the trailer yes i did watch the trailer it's like amazing <laughs> just kidding <laughs> I, I totally didn't care about it uh they have like a cinematic trailer it's some 2d art like scrolling around in parallax and someone's like we came to the lost temple and then others followed us but they were looking for different things which actually sounded really good because the game i've played that one spoilers on board game arena as well quite a bit lately and it is kind of very samey like the game basically plays out kind of the same way and you're interested in the same things and you're going up the same tracks you might go like on the left side as opposed to the rough right side in one game and the locations obviously offer a different mixture of resources but i'm very curious if this is gonna make the game some like thing that's fundamentally something different like maybe one of these leaders also have like different goals oh yeah this expansion contains alternative research tracks that offer even more variety and a bigger challenge along with new item and cards combos and synergies that sounds really good because there's one track and that's a little bit like literally it's a one track game get it one track uh, uh so that sounds really good actually that might actually make the game uh kind of shake up the game and make it more exciting uh but yeah it's coming out in 2021 supposedly which is this year q4 q4 like end of this year so meaning next year with like a delay of six months because there's no shipping yeah. containers anywhere <laughs> um yeah so that's lost uh, get your copy early if uh if you want it because this will be gone the first print run is going to be gone yeah i bet i think this is going to be very popular as well uh and that's lost ruins of arnak expedition leaders i don't know if you've heard anything about it i just literally like looked at bgg uh, the trailer had yeah, like no information at all about yeah, gameplay or I anything it. <laughs> i i don't know anything other than what you just said but uh yeah i don't care what anybody else says i like this game i think it's a lot of fun to play and i'm excited that expansion content is coming for it because um like you say it'll hopefully add more interesting things to do in the game although even though the game is maybe arguably a bit samey i just like playing it um for now so yeah yeah obvi obviously like <laughs> the cards that come out are different uh things are different like they things it's not the same same game every time but i would appreciate kind of like another research track or something that's like different from kind of what i've seen so far in the game so that just sounds exactly like yep. it which is really good i think that's kind of what the game needs yeah yeah I'll, I'll definitely have my eyes set on getting this expansion so we can try it out um i just had one more game that i wanted to 
bring up, and it's called Excavation Earth. This is uh, designed by Gordon Calleja, David Turtzi, and Y. Yi. This is published by Mighty Boards. Basically, the, the theme of this game is kind of interesting. Um, basically, it's like post-humans on Earth, and aliens are coming here and going around and excavating uh, like artifacts and stuff left by extinct humans. And then uh, you're moving around these, this world map to different areas and deploying your, um, uh, I don't know what they're called, like little minions or meeples to these different markets where then it then just becomes kind of like an economic game. Scavengers, I think. I think it's yeah, scavengers. scavengers. Yeah, so there's like this supply and demand and like you try to get your colors into the right markets so that you can sell at high prices and buy at low maybe. And and there's just like this, I, I tend to like economic games and this one has a, a interesting theme. Um, also, I think this card features heavily multi-use cards because uh, in the three rounds of the game, you draft a hand of multi-use cards that then become your mechanism to perform actions in each round. And so uh, I generally tend to like David Turtsy designs, um, and he seems to be pretty heavily involved in this one. And so I'm I'm interested to try it because it seems to combine a lot of elements that I just generally like in, in board games, plus the kind of quacky theme. <laughs> the biggest, I don't know if you've heard of this one. No, actually, that's funny, but I I had it in my looking forward to like last year when the Kickstarter happened, um, and I've been looking forward to it since then. It's actually come out in retail. I saw it at um, Miniature Markets. Demolition. Got it. I mean, a bunch of places have it. So oh, I didn't see the, the demolition. Yeah, the biggest question is, no, it was actually on the display. That's funny that you didn't see it because it was on display for a few months on the front of the of the store. Uh, so yeah, the biggest question is, are you going to buy it? Because I've also had this game uh, kind of in my sights like for a long time and I didn't quite... I think the idea is really creative and it looks really good, but also there's something about it that I was just like not sure about. I didn't do the Kickstarter. I was like, there's no exclusives hardly and I'll just wait for retail. Retail came came up and I'm still not sure. I actually uh, was going to probably try this at SaltCon if it's available there. That would be a prime game to try there because I think it has the potential and the look and everything and the theme is super cool of a game that I would enjoy. I just don't know if I'm actually going to enjoy it. It has kind of like mixed reviews in some ways. Kind of weird. So anyway, yeah, um, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, to answer your question, probably. Cool. Nice. <laughs> Good. Great. Uh, so we'll probably have this one available to us. I don't, I hope it's one that I like a lot and, and kind of sticks around on my shelf because I, I think it, like I said, it combines a lot of elements that I like generally. So, and I, I kind of trust David Turtsy's design. I know this is not his solo design, but, um, but he did design the solo version. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it does look like a game that combines a lot of things that I tend to like in games. So I'm, I'm looking forward to trying it. Yeah. The Kickstarter came out with an instant expansion. That's the, the money grab part of Kickstarter is, I guess, like uh, you, the game comes out in two boxes. Why not one? Who knows? But there's an expansion, and there's apparently a second expansion coming in. I don't know if it's just more items. I don't actually know. I, I, used I think to the know... expansion is kind of out of stock. 
Oh, that's weird. Currently. Actually, I think I also saw that one, so you might want to grab it if you're really interested in it. Uh, but I was going to say, I used to know what this game was about, uh, but I don't remember the exact mechanics, but I, I remember being kind of really interested in it, but not enough to like jump on it and ask people to play it with me. <laughs> so you you might be the person to, to do that. Do you want to play it with me, Risto? <laughs> uh, sure, yeah. No, I'll, I'll play this for sure. Some games, not so much excitement, but for this one, yeah, I, I definitely want to see what it is. All right. Well, we'll start with Last Will, and then we'll play this one. Uh, yeah. No, I would actually <laughs> play Last Will now that I actually know how it kind of functions, barely. Uh, probably alone, though, uh, just to kind of see how it is also over the, the seven rounds. Just to kind of, yeah, just to see what it is. Because I felt like, felt like it, I kind of played yeah. it, but there was like a distraction of a different game going on to the side, if you know what I mean. So it's just like... <laughs> I wish I could just focus on it and get the full experience. Uh, anyway. All right, everybody. That'll be our episode. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you in a couple weeks. Carnes and Cubes has been a production of Pod Cauldron. Check out some other great podcasts on the Pod Cauldron Network, including Bub Club, a horror movie podcast, Rabble, 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 a comedic look at current events, and Steady Diet of Music, a bi-weekly fix of opinions by musicians. You can get a hold of Cards and Cubes via email, cardsandcubespodcast at gmail.com, or visit our website, www.cardsandcubes.com. We'd like to thank Kirsten Adams for designing our logo. Find more of Kirsten's art on Instagram at catcoffee, that's K-A-T-C-O-F-F-E-E. We'd also like to thank Lindsay Hobbs for composing the theme and thank all of you for listening and we will return in a couple of weeks.